and the Republican Journal, providing the communities of Waldo, Knox, and Hancock counties with news, information, ideas, events, goods, and services on newsstands Thursdays and on the web at waldo.villagesoup.com. Hi, Darwin Davidson here. Summer may be winding down, but that doesn't mean the bluegrass music is over. Not by a long shot. And of course, there will be a lot of bluegrass music on Brownswound this week, as always. So please join me Thursday, August 22nd, from 8 to 10 p.m. for lots of great bluegrass music, and I'll tell you about those upcoming bluegrass events. And it'll all be right here on Community Radio. That's WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill and streaming online at WERU.org. See you Thursday. Support for WERU comes from our listeners and from George Stevens Academy, welcoming students to discover their world. More information at georgestevensacademy.org. This is WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill and on the web at WERU.org. Support for WERU comes from our listeners and from AFS USA of Maine, helping to build bridges of intercultural understanding by welcoming exchange students into families in Maine. AFS is looking for volunteers in Maine to build connections with local schools, plan events and activities, and welcome high school exchange students coming from more than 90 countries in August and September. More information is available at AFSUSA.org. It's 10 o'clock, and you are tuned to WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill and streaming online at WERU.org. Let's Talk Animals with your host, Dr. John Hunt, is coming up next. Good morning. This is Dr. John Hunt for Let's Talk Animals from Aardvarks to Zebras. And we are live today, so you can call us at 207-469-0500 if you have any questions or comments about our uh, show today. Uh, I also like to always plug my Sunday morning show, Pet Sounds. Uh, That's still going on. I got uh, topics coming up, including choking dogs and frozen animals and things like that. So we got lots of interesting little topics. So tune in on Sundays at 730. So, getting back to Let's Talk Animals, uh, I have a special guest. Uh, he's a veterinarian. He was my uh, professional neighbor and longtime friend of 20-some-odd years, Dr. Greg Thibodeau. Good morning, Greg. Good morning, Dr. Hunt. How are you? Fine. It's, it's informal here at WERU. Okay. Uh, we, uh, on Monday or a couple of days ago, we were on the phone. We talked for about two hours. Yes. We should have taped that, but yes. on the other hand, some of that was some subjects we shouldn't... We should keep to ourselves. Keep to ourselves. So yes. we'll just have this hour will be the official uh, interview. Yeah. Uh, Greg was uh, the owner and operator of the Blue Hill Veterinary Hospital. He started in 1985 and retired 27 years later. So I think a lot of our listeners in this area are going to be familiar with Dr. Thibodeau and his practice. Uh, we shared um, uh, a lot of our clients. We did. Uh, being I was up in Bucksport for about the same amount of years. Yep. And it was always a friendly, um, we always had a friendly relationship professionally. Yes. Uh, very special. We always had a colleague-type relationship, yep. you know. And uh, 
Yeah, it was a pleasure practicing next door to you. Yeah, thank you. It, it was it was really nice. So, uh, what I want to uh, share uh, have our, our share with our listeners is kind of the unique way that you started your practice, and some things that you experienced early on in in uh, practicing veterinary medicine. I just want to say, uh, Greg's story is different than most of us veterinarians. Um, most veterinarians go to school, they graduate, and during their senior year, they usually get a, a position as an associate veterinarian at a, a, a practice, right. an already going practice, right. and that's what I did. I joined a practice in Connecticut <clears throat> and worked for a gentleman for three years and kind of learned the ropes. Yep. So he would be uh, my tutor, so to speak, my mentor, and uh, that way I had some kind of uh, guidance and uh, that's a typical veterinarian. And usually we switch jobs a couple times to different clinics. And sometimes uh, we go off on our own like I did right. in my own practice. But this is not the case for you. No. And this is what we'd like to uh, set you up here as, as to exactly, as I always ask my guests, how you got here from there. Right. And kind of start your, your story with uh, how you got interested in vet medicine and, and school and I got to Blue Hill. Uh, well, uh, as far as how I got into veterinary medicine, um, I, I think I always had it in mind. It was just a career choice that seemed to fit really well with me. You know, I always had biology and science inclinations, and uh, I think early on, even through high school and throughout my college, I was you know leaning towards a career in veterinary medicine. Uh, but to answer your question about um, uh, my situation being a little bit different. Uh, it, it was different, uh, quite so, because I actually was uh, the first student to go through a state of Maine program that uh, only lasted a couple of years, but I was the first one to go through it. And that is that um, the Maine state legislature had decided that I was, uh, if they were going to help underwrite the cost of running a veterinary school. So every year the state of Maine, because the state of Maine did not have its own veterinary school yet, the state of Maine had an interest in educating Maine residents as veterinarians. They would help underwrite uh, the cost of veterinary school at, at the University of Pennsylvania and at Cornell University, those two, and they would alternate each year. So I was the first one to go through the program in the sense that uh, at some point, the state of Maine legislature said, well, we need to get something in return for this. Now, this was not financial aid to me. This was an exchange between the veterinary school and the state of Maine. I still had to pay my own uh, you know, tuition and, and make my own way. Um, but at one point, the state of Maine said, we want you to come back to a veterinarian needy area, set up a practice, and commit to five years of uh, practice in that area. So. That is the contract I signed uh, because I was a Maine resident and I had no other choice. Um, so when I graduated in 1985, uh, the state of Maine had provided for me uh, a list of uh, veterinarian needy areas. There were seven of these areas in the state of Maine, some of them being uh, the Freiburg area, which is an area that I had an interest in, uh, uh, Lincoln area, uh, Jay, Maine area, the St. John Valley, uh, the Bangor suburban area, so that would be um, not Bangor proper, but Bangor suburban. 
So of these seven areas, uh, during my last year of veterinary school, my wife Jane and I would make a trip up to Maine and we would just run around the state and we'd introduce ourselves to veterinarians and try to sort out where the need was and where was the best place for us to settle. And it turns out that the Blue Hill area was not one of these seven areas. It happened to be the eighth place on the list and didn't quite make the cut because <clears throat> because they needed, as, as far as their definition of rural was concerned, needed 10,000 residents, and there were only 9,038 residents <laughs> in Blue Hill and environs, and so it didn't quite fit the bill. But an interesting thing happened uh, when I was in my fourth year of, of studies and evaluating these seven areas. I received a copy of the main veterinary newsletter in my mailbox at veterinary school, and in that newsletter, there were a group of citizens in the Blue Hill area that had placed an advertisement uh, saying, please come you know, to our area. We're willing to help a veterinarian get started. We're help. in need yes, of you know, <laughs> large animal and, and small animal services. And this really intrigued us. So, so we made a trip up and uh, met with this, uh, you know, this group of citizens. And Even though you're, it wasn't one of the seven. It was not so one of the seven. So how you went ahead and did that? You well, uh, it, it, it was close to the criteria, and we were just very intrigued with this idea that they would be willing to help a veterinarian get started. And, and I was faced with this, you know, this daunting task of, of, uh, of you know, graduating from veterinary school in debt. Uh, and, and, you know, how, how do you start a practice with nothing? You know, you, you, you know I didn't have the instruments. I didn't have a staff. I didn't have anything. So... The fact that these uh, these people were willing to kind of um, raise some funds to help out, uh, by that I mean uh, find a place, pay rent for a year, uh, carry some insurances for me for a year, uh, and they were willing to actually set aside a little bit of money for a practice vehicle with which I could, uh, you know, do some farm calls in. That sounds very attractive. So so we so we met and. Uh, Long story short, we were intrigued by the whole prospect, mm -hmm. uh, and, and, and they were intrigued with us also. And so at some point, I made the decision to go to the uh, professional office in Augusta and plead my case. And uh, I basically said, you know, there's, it doesn't quite fit this criteria, uh, but obviously there's a need because there are people that are, that are advertising, you know, for veterinary services. And uh, so they very quickly agreed to that. And so we went ahead, we went forward with these, with these citizens and uh, kind of hammered out a deal, so to speak. And um, they agreed to raise some funds, uh, kind of carry us for the first year to see if it would be a viable place to practice. Uh, and in exchange, if I decided that it was not viable, that uh, whatever I was able to accumulate in terms of equipment and, and such would, would stay, you know, so that they could uh, try to, fair. to get someone else. Yeah. And so th those are the circumstances under which I started. I, I was the only one. I had 103 classmates uh, of the 104 of us. Uh, I, was only, I was the only one that was required to go straight from school and set up, you know, practice on my own in a rural area. And uh, it, it was quite daunting. Um, but nevertheless, that's what it was. Uh, this particular program, interestingly enough, stopped after just a few years because it, it was really quite an unreasonable sort of thing. Uh, yeah. 
and just remind our listeners, this is back in 85, which was 30-some-odd years ago. Right. So veterinary clinics just 30 years ago, there weren't <clears throat> very many. I know Bucksport uh, at the time was only a part-time outpatient. That's right. So when I, when I purchased it a couple of years after you moved in, right. it was not a full-time. Uh, there was practice at Brewer and Ellsworth. That's about it. Right. And there just really wasn't anything around. Right. Uh, even in 1985, which is quite amazing. It, it is. As a matter of fact, I remember when, when we did come to the area, I, I felt an obligation to introduce myself to the surrounding veterinarians, but the surrounding veterinarians were, there was a practice in Ellsworth, there was a small practice in, in uh, Trenton, uh, right. on the way to Bar Harbor. Yeah. Um, there was a practice in Searsport, and there was a practice in uh, Belfast. And so I, I introduced myself to all of those four, and every one of them had the same prediction. Every one of them said, you will be out of business in, within a year or two. They don't uh, say that. They, they just felt, that. That, yes, they did, every yeah. single one. Uh, uh, they just, you know, they basically said, you know, this is just, you know, it's just a foolish mistake on your part, but, you know, good luck to you. And um, Well, statistically, uh, Blue Hill and Bucksport are kind of similar. When I was looking at the statistics of how much, how many households you needed to support, Bucksport or Blue Hill is not supposed to support a veterinary household. That's absolutely true. So I went in, same as you, just kind of, okay, this is a nice place. It's a little clinic for me. It was already set up. It was just a part-time. Yep. So we beat the, beat the odds. I we guess. beat the odds somehow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, you didn't come stop to see me because I wasn't there yet. You weren't there yet. Yeah. But when you came, in, I think which was in 88 is what I'm recalling. Right. When you came in 87, yeah. uh, I, I ended up doing a farm call in Bucksport, not far from... Across the street from me. From right across the street from me. I wasn't doing fact. farm calls. I was just a small animal. Yep, yep. And, uh, and so I thought, well, I, I really must stop in and, and introduce myself because I knew that you were there. And, and, that's, and that's what I did. And uh, we had an immediate connection, I think. Yeah, yeah. And uh, by that time, we were uh, already well underway raising our families and, uh, uh, you busy. know. Busy. Uh, busy. <laughs> and, uh, you know, paying off our bills and, and that sort of thing. So we, we very quickly developed a relationship. Yeah. And yeah. it's been like that ever since. Yes. So you uh, managed to convince the legislature, Augusta, that this Blue Hill thing was a good deal. So you got that hurdle. Yes. So now you go to the Blue Hill group and say, here I am. Yes. So what did they do for you? Well, uh, so, so they were wonderful. Wonderful. I mean, uh, they met regularly before I graduated, and then we met regularly after I graduated. And um, they basically managed to raise, believe it or not, over the course of maybe a couple of years, almost $10,000. How did they do that? And so uh, I, probably the, the, the biggest way was the local paper, the, 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 the weekly packet and the island advantages at that time, uh, the editor uh, had uh, written and placed a, a plea, a letter for donations in the paper. And so... Uh, people did so. They uh, sent in $5, $10, $25. Just just to help a vet get wow. started, I guess. And, were there uh, any money uh, dries? Any, uh, and so, and there were... Selling pop- cupcakes or something? Yes. <laughs> All of it, John. All of it. Uh, 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 bake sales, um, bottle drives, um, 
potluck suppers. Uh, the town of Brooklyn uh, at their uh, their annual meeting donated $500. Wow. Um, it just sort of trickled in, you know, over time. And But what this allowed me to do uh, was to get me started because, uh, you know, uh, when you graduate from veterinary school and you associate with another veterinarian, you know, your insurances are paid and uh, you've got some money coming in so you can pay your rent and, uh, you know, there's a practice vehicle that you can jump in and run and it's already stocked and equipped. You can run and do farm calls. For the record, though, the salaries are not very high. Oh, no. And the insurance wasn't very good. No, uh, all of that. <laughs> it was better than nothing. <laughs> Absolutely true. My goodness. But, but you had nothing. Well, is, that's right. And, and it was a very uh, daunting uh, idea. You know, I didn't know how to go about doing this. And besides which, I was, I was in debt and, and brand new, you know. And uh, so it was, uh, so there was that appeal, you know. And um, so uh, that $10,000 did take care of these expenses, uh, including um, for, for a year. And then after that, it seemed as though the practice was going to be viable enough uh, to survive the winters and make it to the springs and summers again. Um, and they were able to buy me a, a used, a used vehicle. I, I used the term vehicle. I, I, I guess it was a vehicle, but, but <laughs> four but, wheels and uh, an engine. Yes, yes. And uh, but that is what I used uh, to to do farm calls in. It was an old Mercury Cougar, and it was actually kind of a fun car to drive. I, it's it, not what you think of a veterinarian. No, no. But, you know the James Harry, not, not not your typical, uh, <laughs> not your typical, but but it, it was kind of a cool thing. But uh, it, it was it was fun until the day came, and it wasn't very long into the practice that I was returning from a from a farm call, and it's, it was you know it was a stick shift, and so I'm shifting, and and as I'm shifting, come around the the corner, the stick shift comes off <laughs> in my hand. So so I'm holding the stick shift as I'm driving down the road and I'm thinking, how, uh, what do I do with this? And I ended up just sort of pulling over to the side of the road because, you know, I, I couldn't shift. And, um, and so I, I ended up having to hitchhike. You know, back to the clinic. So here I am with my, my you know, my, doc, my doctor bag and uh, sitting on the side of the road, you know, with my thumb and someone out. picked you up. And I, apparently someone did because I, I did make it back, yes. <laughs> and the car? Well, the car, the uh, somehow, uh, it, it didn't last very long. Um, I did uh, repair it, and, and I did use it for quite some time. Um, but but at some at some point, I thought, you know, I've really got to get something that makes sense. You know, this was only two-wheel drive. It wasn't good in snow and uh, all of it, you know. So, We're talking with Dr. Greg Thibodeau, the former owner of Blue Hill Veterinary Hospital. And this is WERU in uh, East Orland. This is Dr. John Hunt for Let's Talk Animals. We are live. You can call us at 207-469-0500. 469-0500 if you have any questions or comments for Dr. Thibodeau. And we'll continue uh, this kind of unique uh, way of starting a practice. Uh, one thing I you, you mentioned to me is uh, you got help in vet school once the professors knew your circumstance. Tell us, tell us about that. Yeah, that's true. Um, as, as my fourth year of veterinary school was approaching and I was uh, realizing, uh, you know, what was ahead of me, uh, I made it known to my classmates uh, and to my professors, especially my professors uh, as we were out on farm calls, you know. Um, 
and I said, you know, can you can you just give me a list of, you know, how do I start? You know, what, <laughs> what do I what, do? What, what do I do? <laughs> what do I need? You know, uh, and so so they were very very gracious. You know, they they were a little incredulous that I was actually going to attempt to do this, but um, but 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 there you have it. You know, those are the circumstances, and um, so th- they were wonderful because you know at three o'clock in the morning here we are driving out on these you know farm calls, these emergency farm calls, these horse colics, and you know down cows and and all of that. But I had my notepad out and I was taking notes, and th- they they felt for me. I mean, so by the time I graduated from veterinary school, I, I, they had put together a, 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 a little box of goodies for me, you know. So, so by goodies, I mean, you know. <laughs> not not I, cupcakes. I, I, no, not, not cupcakes. <laughs> and donuts. I, I, you know, a leftover box of, like, needles or, or <laughs> you know, uh, some syringes that, uh, you know, they somehow were able to, you know, get from me. And I remember I, I had maybe four or five vials of injectable drugs, one of which was dexamethasone. One was a, a penicillin. I had some vitamin E. I had some B vitamins. And I might have had another vial or two of who knows what, you know, xylazine or banamine or, or something. Some anesthetic. Uh, some anesthetic. Yeah. And, uh, and they had put some halters, uh, halters in there, uh, yeah. some, uh, j- just uh, some, some uh, t- nasogastric tubes, you know, tube horses. And uh, so anyway, so here, here I've got this, you know, ratty little cardboard box. And they said, well, here you go, Greg, you know, good luck. And they push yeah. you out the door. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> next, next class, you know. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, so thankfully I had that. And, and that is, that is basically all I had. And, and, um, you had your student stethoscope. I did that have we that. we all bought at what, our freshman year. Uh, yes. Something like that. Yes. Uh, yes. 16 bucks when I bought it. Uh, yeah. And exactly. I used that my entire veterinary career. Yes. I wouldn't let anyone else use it. That's right. Is it the same with you? Or? It is absolutely the same. And I still I, have I, it. I still have the same one. Yeah. Yep, yep. <laughs> I had bought, you know, I had bought a, a cardiac stethoscope along the way over the years, but I never liked it as much as my original one. The original one. You know, so. just, you can't, you can't, you know, all this, yeah, no. you get all this fancy stuff. Salesmen come in and sell you a hill of beans and, oh, yeah, I'll do this and, you start reaching for your old one. You really do. I, I, I had, yeah, I mean, how many how many cases, how many hearts have we listened to on oh these gosh. particular stethoscopes? And I wouldn't let anyone, no one could touch that. They knew yes. that was Dr. Hunt's yeah. stethoscope, so That's probably right. same with you. Absolutely. It was it, it was mine. That's right. If you wanted a stethoscope, you know. You go get it. Go get your own. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, to segue into uh, these gifts that you got, um, it came in rather handy with one of your first cases, uh, very handy, kind of set yourself up as a veterinarian. Tell us about that. Well, it really did, uh, John. I, I don't know how, uh, you know, I, I, we, were, we, we kind of snuck into town. You know, I, I, I didn't necessarily want it known that I was a veterinarian in town. People knew, however, um, because I didn't have I didn't have anything. It was t- it was taking me a while to. Uh, well, besides which, I had to I had to sit before the board, the main state board, uh, to, to get licensing. You know, so I In mean, those were... days, it was uh, was it at the church with a door? There's like six doors. And you had to go to six different oral interviews. Absolutely, you went through the same thing I did. Absolutely, talk about getting gray hair. Oh yeah, absolutely. It was nerve wracking. That was horrible. Uh, so so I had to go through that. I was yeah. studying up and whatnot. But regardless, uh, someone called, 
somehow they got a hold of me, and um, and it turns out that she was panicking. She she was distraught and beside herself. It must have been eleven o'clock at night. I don't remember, you know, what what night of the, what day of the week it was. But uh, she had a donkey, and her donkey was uh, in respiratory distress. He could not breathe, and she just thought he was going to uh, keel over any 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 minute. And could I please come out? And I you know I felt relatively helpless, but at the same time, who else is going to go? You know, so you're so, it. So uh, so there you go. So so I I, I jump in my Mercury Cougar <laughs> with the stick shift. With the stick shift, that one it was working at that time, <laughs> and and I made it out to her to her farm. And sure enough, this poor donkey, John. If you've ever seen a heavy horse. This, this was ten times worse. You know, the, the poor thing just could not breathe. Uh, head and neck extended. Classic. Classic. Uh, so this was a this was heaves. You know, this is the donkey equivalent of asthma, an asthma attack, uh, and basically this this chest was hyperinflated, uh, difficulty expiring, uh, could inspire relatively, but just could not expire. Uh, you put your stethoscope on. There's uh, wheezes, uh, some crackles at that point, and the uh, owner was probably hyperventilating. I, I, yes, I, you know, <laughs> she she needed more treatment than a donkey, even. Uh, but anyway, um, it just so happens by some fluke miracle, John, I I happen to have the the treatment rattling around in my cardboard in box, box, in my, my little box in the back of my Mercury Cougar, and, and some syringes that were appropriate, and needles, uh, you know, that could do the trick. <laughs> I loaded up the, the, the injection. Uh, I gave it to the donkey, and, and, uh, and I loaded up a second one, and I said, give this to him you know, tomorrow, showed her how to do it. And when she called me the next day, I, it, I mean, it was a miraculous recovery, you know, this donkey. I had saved this donkey's life, and I probably had, you know. And um, so, so this, was, this was very reinforcing, you know. That was my first farm call. And it wasn't a horse, wasn't a cow, wasn't a sheep or a goat. It was a donkey, of all things. But um, it, it worked out very, very well. Because so from then on, you're, you had pretty good... Uh... It was a good start. It was a good start. Reputation. Well, the bar was set quite high at that but point. It's better to be that than if the donkey didn't make it. Well, that's right. You would be. You would be practicing. <laughs> I, I, I'd have probably been run out of town. Yeah, you'd yeah. be working for me. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so that came in handy. Well, then, uh, so you're talking about your large animal, uh, but you did small animals, so you need a, a facility. Right. But you have a tent. <laughs> well, just about. You know, what tell you what, uh, what was fortuitous is in 1985, uh, a country store had opened in the Sargentville area of, of Sedgwick. So this is Route 15. It's sort of midway between Blue Hill and, and Deer Isle. And uh, so this country store had opened up. And uh, while it was being built, uh, this group of citizens had approached the owner and and they said, gee, could you carve out a little spot, you know? And and he was very willing to do that. And not only that, but uh, I was able to communicate with him, and and uh, we set up, you know, uh, different rooms. Well, it wasn't very big. It was only twenty five feet by twenty five feet. I mean, you know, six hundred square feet. Um, not like a garage size. So it was about the size of a garage. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And and so, and speaking of garage, in his store. 
at one end of the store was the bottle <laughs> return area. And so he had put this little area behind his bottle return area. So the door, the one and only door to my clinic, uh, was on the side of his building behind the bottle return. So how did people get into your... So, so they had they had to tiptoe their way through the bottles, you know, through, <laughs> through the beer bottles to to, to, to get into my into my uh, yeah. Well, one one stop shopping. You take your bottles and your dog. Absolutely. And get a little money for the bottles to help pay. For the, 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 for the shot. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There you go. See, that's yeah. a good system. So right? that was a good system. You know, you should have patented that. <laughs> <laughs> you would be I, rich. I, I yes, I should have. <laughs> Many things I should have done. But I that's true. Didn't do. Yeah. So, so you were in the back of the. Was there a lot? Was it noisy? Um, yes, uh, espe- <laughs> especially the es- the yes, especially when it was collection day. You know, <laughs> for the bottles because oh, you know, all we could hear was clink, clink, and clink, and clink. But and the big uh, trucks coming uh, in to load them. Uh, and, yes, oh my yes, gosh. yes. But the rest of the week, it was it was it was tolerable. So you had, a, you had a little reception area and a little exam room. That's right. I had a little reception area, a middle room that was basically a combined exam pharmacy, surgery. And then I had partitioned off some wards, uh, you know, where I had some cages in the back. Where'd you get the cages? Where did I get the cages? Yeah. So those I, I got from uh, one, of our, one of our distributors. And, and uh, it was actually a bank of cages. I had one, two, three, four, four cages, uh, a big one on the bottom, three smaller ones on top that were custom made uh, for a veterinarian who no longer wanted them. And so I was able to get these at a relatively uh, wow. low price, I- and um, I was able to put this on credit. You know, yeah. Those days, um, same with me. The the the, the old fashioned uh, detail men, the, the salesmen, would come in yes. representing the, the drug companies, and they had their sh- their tie and their jacket, suit and tie. Yeah, yeah suit and tie and a little briefcase, very formal. Yes, I kind of miss those days. Yes, uh, but they would give new fledglings like us, and including me, even though I had a building. This kind of extended credit will will set you up, give you a couple months of vaccines and stuff. You got to pay it back, of course. But yeah. I don't think it was any interest or anything. Uh, there was not. I remember. I think it was interest yeah. free. So that was very. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was for their best interest too. Yes, it was. You know, if we succeed, and they. Yes. They succeed. Th- thankfully, uh, that was the case because I was able to, uh, you know, order some things to get myself going. I mean, and I was, had no instruments. I had no anesthetic agents. I, I had nothing. You know. So you. Uh, so you use some of the money that the citizens gave you, and you some um, uh, credit and stuff from the companies. That's right. But then you got some equipment other ways. Yes, I did. How did you do that? Uh, and and that was that was that was a fun day. Let me tell and you. You didn't steal it. I just uh, want to tell no, all the listeners. No, it was all <laughs> legitimate. <laughs> it was all legitimate. <laughs> Unless it was done on the on, on on the down low on their part. I <laughs> That's don't right. Know. You had no idea. But so I guess I'll be careful what I say or who I incriminate. That's right. No names. <laughs> no names. But uh, <clears throat> but uh, one day I got, I got a phone call from the CEO of the of the Blue Hill Hospital, and. Um, he was welcoming me to town, and he said, by the way, Dr. Thibodeau, uh, you know, we have an attic upstairs, you know, in our hospital, and it is full of, uh, you know, old pieces of equipment and such. Uh, you know, would you have an interest in rummaging around up there? And I said, wow, you know, this is a, this is a great day. This is like, you know, Christmas in July, basically. <laughs> and uh, so I did go up there, and, and I got some wonderful pieces of equipment, uh, John. I got a surgery table. And now this was an old, 
it, everything looked World War II vintage, basically, up there. But it was an old, clunky, heavy uh, surgery uh, table. Um, that was up there. And I thought, wow, this is a stainless steel surface. You know, I, 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 can, I can use this for my surgery t- table. So I did, I did get that. Uh, probably the best thing that I got, though, was uh, an anesthesia machine. And do you remember using methoxyfluorine? Methoxyfluorine, yes. Okay. Oh yeah, that, that's one of those things that you headaches know, at night. You're you're, you're 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 reluctant to admit to you know at this in this day and <laughs> at age. This, yes, that's malpractice. Uh, but 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 methoxyfluorine that that truly is sort of World War II vintage. But, yes. But but we were taught how to use methoxyfluorine in veterinary school. That's what that was. The... And there was a methoxyfluorine anesthesia machine up there, retired, you know, human one. And I was able to get that, and I was able to wow. to to re reconfigure it. Um, so you know, for our you know, six-pound cat patients and, you know, up, up to 200-pound right. dog patients. And uh, so that was wonderful because I had now a surgery table and an anesthesia machine. And I also got an ECG machine from them. I got a, an exam table, which used to be in the nursery and uh, still taped on this table was a, a measuring tape where they would measure the babies. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, so I had that. They, they gave me a metal cabinet, which uh, served uh, to store my instruments and suture material and that sort of thing. And I got a floor lamp, a floor surgery lamp uh, as That's well. That's helpful. So that was helpful. So I, yeah. I basically had uh, a surgery suite of sorts you know, set up. Uh, so that, that was great. You did better than I did. Yeah. I mean, I had, a, I had a table with uh, sheet metal. Oh, was that right? It was right? a wood table that had sheet metal sheet as metal a surface. Yeah, yep. I did surgery on that for a long time. Long time. More than you care to admit, I guess. Yeah, I'm jealous now. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. And, and, and the guys, you know, the, the, the crew from the hospital, they, they set all this stuff up, or, or at least they, they transported it. And, and, you know, that surgery table must have weighed, I, I don't know how much. I mean, you know, it was 1,000 pounds at least, I, I, I would think. Yeah. And, um, oh, yeah, so that was – now, it took me a couple of months – before I dared uh, anesthetize my first patient, though, I, I had to make sure I had not only anesthetic agents and that the anesthesia machine was working uh, well, but that I had a monitoring equipment. Um, and I had people who could help me, uh, you know, because while I'm concentrating uh, diligently on, on my first surgery cases, I, I, I needed someone to, uh, to monitor the patient, uh, anesthesia. Uh, this is... Uh we're talking to Dr. Greg Thibodeau from the Blue Hill Veterinary Hospital that's uh, there for 27 years, now retired. And this is Let's Talk Animals from Aardvarks to Zebras. Dr. Hunt's your host. And if you'd like to call, we are live, 207-469-0500. I'm sure there's some Blue Hill listeners out there love to say hi or just uh, ask a question that Greg would love to answer. Uh, I don't know how truthfully, but he'll answer. He'll give you an answer. He'll give you an answer. So we're getting back to the, uh, your, basically your hospital has been, uh, you, you get it all set up. You have everything yes. Yes. ready to go. Yes. Uh, but you don't have any help. But you were married. Yes, I was. A wonderful wife. Y- yes, indeed. Jane, so was she one of your first assistants? Well, she, she well, okay, yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, here goes a qualified answer. And, and, and we know what a saint my wife Jane is. Yes, she is. Uh, but, of course, one of the things that we uh, uh, weren't sure about when we, 
Uh, so yes, she she was helping me uh, in the clinic. Uh, the the only thing that we would say is that we weren't sure who was the boss of who, uh, <laughs> you know. So so we we had some discussions of that. But but for example, uh, Jane Jane would sterilize my instruments every night. I I, I eventually I had one one pack, you know, of of instruments. And um, so I would bring those home every night. And Did you use a pressure cooker? We use a pressure That's, cooker. I had a pressure cooker for years at the yes, clinic. Yes, absolutely. We had a pressure cooker at the house, <laughs> and, and Jane would, 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 uh, would sterilize my instruments. That little strip of paper. Nightly, yes. They put in, and if it turns black, that means you're properly you've, sterilized. You've successfully sterilized yeah. those instruments. So she did that. And then uh, as well, uh, you know, really, uh, once things got going um, on a daily basis, sometimes more than once a day, I would draw blood samples from uh, one of my patients, and uh, they would need to be processed. You know, they'd need to be spun down, centrifuged, uh, and, uh, and then sorted into, you know, uh, into vials so that I could mail them out to the laboratories. So Jane, I would call Jane. Jane, she was either there or, or I would call her in, and uh, she would run the, uh, the samples to the, to the local hospital in Blue Hill, the Blue Hill Memorial Hospital. At the laboratory there, she would just go in, they would, they would spin them down, process them, and then she would return them to me, and then I would, I would send them off uh, for analysis. And she did this regularly enough that it didn't take them very long. They felt sorry for me and her, I would imagine. <laughs> uh, and uh, so they donated one of their centrifuges <laughs> they heard this yes, to, to me. <laughs> and I, 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 John, I used that centrifuge all of my practice life. I mean, I had other centrifuges, but, but, that I, one, but I used that one as well. Special one. Uh, absolutely. Uh, so, um, so yes, uh, Jane, Jane was a, a, a vital, integral part of the uh, start of uh, Maine Coast Veterinary Hospital. And that's right. That's Maine Coast Veterinary. I'm sorry, I called the Blue that, Hill. Well, that's okay. I, I always call the Blue Hill. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and again, for listeners to understand, in those days, uh, these days, uh, you can have your dog or cat's blood drawn at the clinic, and all the answers are right there. Oh, that's right. The lab has all these machines that gives all the tests. In 1985, gee, for 10 years or so, we didn't have those blood analyzers. That's right. We had to send them off to. Nordex Nord, or, yeah, something or like that. So, or so it took it took a day. So it did. the animal was sick. We had to kind of figure out what to do in the meantime before we got the blood work back. back. And that was that was just thirty years ago. That's right. It's just amazing how That's things right. have changed. It, it, it is really something when you think about it. Um, you know, if 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 you take your snapshot in time, rural Maine in the late seventies, early eighties, and and Maine today, uh, as far as veterinary medicine is concerned, it's a completely completely different thing. Yeah. There's been a lot of changes. And you talked about in-house laboratory equipment. I mean, these pieces of equipment are thousands and tens of thousands yes. and more. Yeah. Uh, and, and as you know, we've got these maintenance contracts that we pretty much have to have to take on because these are fickle pieces of uh, equipment. Right. They're wonderful uh, to have, but uh, they're expensive to keep. They're expensive to, to buy. And the, the difference we had when we were setting up our practices is... Uh, yeah, we had nothing. We got stuff, but the amount of money to set it up, since we didn't have to have all those analyzers, was a lot less. Yes. We didn't, it was still a lot for us, but it's a lot less now uh, with all the, the fancy equipment that now has become a standard of practice. Absolutely. And, and that's, that's kind of the catch-22. Yes. Uh, it's great that we have it, but you have to have it. 
Yes. Or else you're not practicing medicine. Yes. Uh, another big area is the uh, imaging area, you know, uh, x-ray machines and yes. ultrasounds. And, you know, these are they're expensive pieces of equipment. Uh, you know, you're, you're dealing with radiation in the case of x-rays, you know, x-ray radiation. So you have to be very careful. There's a lot of... Um, a lot of government agencies looking over your shoulder, making Licensing sure that you're the little tags wearing your badges yeah. you and protecting yourself. Too. Even back then. Yes. So where'd you get your X-ray machine? Well, the, uh, old, the original one. The original one. Uh, of course, I landed in town. I, I didn't have an X-ray machine. You know, I, there were cases that I had to refer to other veterinarians. You know, uh, because uh, they needed an X-ray and I couldn't provide it. Uh, but I did have. Um, uh, a grateful client. Um, I had uh, ultimately diagnosed her dog with uh, renal amyloidosis, mm. a very uh, unusual, uncommon diagnosis, but I was uh, able to make it uh, having stepped fresh from the ivory tower, you know, I was full of that sort of information. And she was so grateful that she bought my uh, my, my, my first x-ray machine, which was a portable x-ray machine. I could, I could carry it with me. I could bring it to farm calls, which I did many times, and then I could hang it. I could suspend it uh, on a wall in, in the clinic, and I would take uh, small animal radiographs. So, so that was a $3,500 piece of equipment um, that she s simply bought for me, and that was my, that was my first was your developer the old wet big tanks? It was the old <laughs> tanks uh, yeah. in the dark room. It smelled. Yes. Had the drip, had the dry. Had to drip, let dry. Them drip dry. Now, you have a little thing about, you tell me about drying your, um, your instruments in the bathroom. Oh, oh yes, yes. <laughs> well, um, in my first clinic, my 25 by 25 piece, behind the, the bottle reduction. Behind the bottles, um, uh, the only sink that we had in there was the sink that was in the bathroom. So, so there was a small bathroom, uh, you know, with a toilet and a sink, basically, and that was the only source of water that we had for the for the entire clinic. So, a as I hired staff uh, and trained them, uh, we would bring my surgical instruments into the bathroom and clean them under the sink. You know, I mean, we had chemical sterilizers, of, of course, but uh, initially would, get the, the blood, the stuff. blood, and and whatnot uh, off, and then we would lay a, uh, uh, a sheet uh, on the toilet tank uh, so that the instruments could dry on the toilet tank. And then later on, we'd package them up. I would bring them home to be sterilized. And uh, so I did this all the years that I was in that particular little clinic. So that was in from 85 until uh, 90 when I, when I built the hospital in, in Blue Hill. So for all those years, we had the habit of, of, of just putting them on the back of the toilet tank. So as a, as a joke, when I uh, when we moved into my new hospital that I built in 1990, the staff uh, <laughs> took my instruments and and they, you know they would bring they would wash them in in the surgery area that I had built, uh, but as as a joke they would they would walk them into the bathroom <laughs> and set them on the toilet tank you know and let them dry there you know just 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 for old times sake I guess. Imagine a client that had to use the bathroom. I know it. There's these instruments. It's just right there. What is going on? Here? I know. No, none of the instruments ever walked home. So, honest people. I know, wonderful, wonderful clients here. Wonderful people here. Absolutely. So, to to get a, a going concern, people had to pay you, but not. Sometimes people didn't have money. So there are other ways, and I had a couple of clients like this. Uh, bartering still, it still may be. 
yes. that was not uncommon 30 years ago. So did you have uh, bartering? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, you know, maybe this was a little more common with my large animal uh, clients, but it was not uncommon for me to, to come away from a farm call with something, you know, organic eggs or, uh, of course, practicing in the Blue Hill, Deer Isle, Stonington area like I did. Uh, I, I came home with lobsters. I can't tell you how many times, you know, uh, uh, they would just, uh, uh, you know, either donate them or just simply because they were grateful or, or uh, payment in kind, you know. Uh, can, yeah. you, can you do this if I give you that, you know, right. sort of thing. Right. Uh, so that happened. Uh, you know, uh, meat, uh, you know, uh, kind of anything that you can think of. And, uh, and then later on, um, uh, being on the coast of Maine, uh, you know, there was quite a well-developed artist community in, in the Blue Hill area, Deer Isle area as well. And to this day, uh, we probably have, uh, over the years, uh, collected maybe, I don't know, a dozen or more paintings from, from clients that uh, uh, wondered if we would barter services, you know, if their, if their pet needed something that was a little bit involved, you know, an orthopedic procedure or that sort of thing. Uh, so, yeah, to this day in my home, uh, basically I have artwork that's from my clients. And I even have one client, uh, this was such a, a fun thing, um, she made bronze sculptures. And uh, so she and her dog uh, was in need of some, uh, you know, an involved sort of procedure. And she wondered if she could make some bronze figurines for me, which she did. Uh, so she made a figurine of me with my dog, my two cats. I was holding a guinea pig, I think, a little mouse sitting next door to me, and then she made a bronze figurine of her own dog that I did the surgery. So I had this little collection of figurines, and I, I have them in my office today. I, I really love them. They're, That's they're, amazing. They're great, yeah. I still have um, two wonderful wood, uh, oak wood uh, shelves. Oh, yeah. yeah. Bookcases. Book Bookcases. Two book that I did a pretty extensive uh, abdominal surgery on this dog and this family was young they didn't have a lot of money right. but he was a carpenter he said can i just build you something? oh yeah so he did and so they're wonderful yeah right. <clears throat> just uh, amazing. amazing yes and, there's a lot of that i mean you know painting that needed to be done in the clinic uh, you know that would that could be bartered uh, landscaping i mean yeah. there were things like that uh, lawn mowing you know yard care uh, that 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 happened quite a bit you mentioned something about a stew is that part of the bartering, or is that just an experience that Jane would rather not you tell? <laughs> well, that was a really fun experience, and uh, <clears throat> you know, uh, I, 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 somehow, you know, Jane Jane gets involved with these things, and and uh, she goes along for the ride. You know, she she's a sport, uh, but basically, one of my farm, one of my farmers. Uh, had uh, goats, dairy goats, and um, so they wanted to invite us over uh, for some stew. And um, so, uh, so sure enough, we show up, and this, I don't know, maybe a Friday evening or a Sunday, I'm not sure. And uh, so there's this, you know, big pot on the stove. And, uh, and so when it comes time for, you know, for, for dinner, we each get a bowl, you know, none of the bowls match or anything, you know, <laughs> it, it's, it's just really, uh, just wonderful. I mean, you know, just everything you would imagine in rural Maine. And, uh, and so you go up to the pot that's on the stove and you ladle your own stew in. And uh, so I'm ladling and uh, 
it's kind of fun because as I'm reaching in with the ladle and I'm, I'm pouring this in my bowl, I can hear a clunk, you know, and I'm looking down in the bowl and there's like a vertebra, you know. <laughs> so that's great. And, it, you know, so then I reach in for another another spoonful and and, uh, and then out comes a scapula, you know. <laughs> and uh, so it, it was like that. And meanwhile, I'm looking at outside, you know, out the corner of my eye at, at, at my wife, Jane, and I can just see the blood draining from her <laughs> face, you know, and uh, here she is wondering what she's going to do with all of this, uh, but uh, anyway, so made it through. she made it through. She made it through. Yeah. My goodness. So, yes, some of the early cases, you had that heavy uh, donkey. Yes. Uh, gee, we're running low on time. Um, just give me a couple other, other examples of some early cases you had that were just like, oh, my God, what am, what am I supposed to what do? What am I supposed to do? Right. Uh, well, one, one of them that uh, is – this is a very early on case. Uh, all, all of this was within the first couple of months, you know, that I'd gotten there. But um, there was this one sheep. You know, he was a retired lobsterman, uh, and he had a sheep. The sheep's name was Angel. He was very, very attached to the sheep. This thing was ancient and uh, – uh, but he called me up one day because there was some blood coming. Uh, you know, he's finding blood on the hay. Uh, I get there. We finally get her up, and she has a, a large sore on her chest. Um, and I'm realizing that this is a, a huge tumor. I mean, just just big. You know, loaf of bread big, and uh, and um, and so and so the the skin had uh, eroded away, and it, it was bleeding. And uh, he was pleading with me. You know, is there anything you can do? And Oh, you know, I, I'm looking at this. I'm, oh, yeah, this looks like a sarcoma. It doesn't look good. You know, this looks like uh, this looks like a, a cancer that's probably not curable. Uh, but I wonder if I could resect it and and stitch it, and you know, this 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 might help her for some good amount of time. You know, so uh, nothing nothing to do. But um, I scheduled a Saturday afternoon surgery. So they were so I closed. I I, I locked the clinic. Said you know, come around noon or one, whatever it was. And they came. It was him and his buddies. And so here we are. We, we've, we've, we've locked the door. I'm by myself. Um, I, I'm using injectable pentobarbital. Oh, boy. You know, yes. And uh, which I'm just <coughs> injecting bolus after bolus Biotel, after yeah. bolus, uh, you know. Doesn't so, last very long. Doesn't last very so long. to keep doing But it. it was a relatively safe drug, at least back then, right. you know, in, in sheep. I was not concerned about that part of it. Um, so we put this sheep on the, on the surgery table. Long story short, John, we were there all afternoon, and I was doing my best. And, you know, sarcomas and such, they, they invade, they're invasive tumors, you know. They don't grow around blood vessels. They, they go through them, you know. It was very bloody. And, uh, but they were troopers, and the angel was a trooper. And uh, uh, so, so here they are, these... Three or four older gentlemen just sitting watching. around, just watching. Uh, <laughs> it must have been nerve-wracking. Uh, oh my God! You know, uh, 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 yes. Uh, and somehow we got through the afternoon. I, I really think it took three or four hours. And and then off, you know, they bundled her off in the truck, and off they drive. And I just, I just thought, I, I hope, I hope things go well. That she wasn't going to become part of the stew. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Didn't want to see her in a stew <laughs> yeah. in the future. Uh, but long story short, she recovered very, very well, and and she was, she was, she was happy, uh, and they were happy, and the thing about this gentleman was he had lobsterman hours, you know, so he was up at two o'clock in the morning, 
and he was on his CB radio all up and down the coast of Maine, and everybody, all all his lobstermen buddies there from 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 Lubeck down down to Wells, they they were all asking about Angel. You know, how <laughs> how's Angel doing? How's she doing today? You know, did she recover? And so you know, uh, I so I, I I got a good reputation for those 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 sheep tumors from at least from this particular gentleman. Yes. You know, I, I I had saved the day. So. That's a great story. That's yeah. a great story. Yeah. You also get, uh, we both have got uh, old wives' tales. Yes. From our clients. Yes. And repeatedly. Yes. And there's uh, several that you and I heard uh, together. Not repeatedly. Together, but repeatedly. Yes. The same ones. And, yes. Uh, we could talk a little bit about that. And maybe we're closing in, kind of talk about how you evolved into your, your big practice uh, in town. Yes. Uh, that's standing now. Yes. So just yes. last couple of minutes we'll do that, but just okay. talk about old wives tales a little bit. Okay. Yeah. So some of the things that, that, uh, I, I became aware of, you know, um, and, and, and heard repeatedly, you know, and I'm, as I'm sure you did as well. Um, but if there's one company I wish I had bought stock in, is whoever makes bag bomb. <laughs> yeah. That and duct tape. Uh, yeah, but, that but bag tape. bomb is the other one. <laughs> That's right. I mean, how many times have you and I heard bag bomb, John? I mean, you know, it, it was it was common, you know, uh, you know, a dog could hit, get hit by a car, you know, its entrails were, 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 were on the, uh, uh, in the road, you know, broken leg, uh, you, you know, and, and then you ask the farmer or, or the owner, you know, why it took him two days to, to contact you. So, well, I, I tried bag bomb, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, or a hot spot, which is a moist dermatitis, and they put bag bomb on it. And yes. It's supposed to be the other way around. Yeah, absolutely. You're not supposed to put anything moist. And so they right. come in and the, the fur is all matted. It's all greasy. It doesn't greasy. look anything like a classic hotspot. No. So the owner says, well, I tried bag bomb for a couple of days. I know it. But it didn't work, Doc. I know it. <laughs> I know it. A hot spot. You know, the, the medical term for a hot spot is acute moist dermatitis. Right. And, and so here we are putting, you know, yuck, you know th- yucky this kind of stuff, stuff that on it. It's it, supposed it, to be for, for chapped skin. Yes, That's what yes, it's for. Yes. Yes. Yeah, bag bomb is... Uh, very common. Yes. What's another one? Well, another one that I heard a lot practicing near salt water like I do is, um, again, people would bring their animals uh, down to the ocean and, mm-hmm. and, and, and put them in the salt water for just anything that, that ailed them, you know, yeah. and, um, and, and there probably was some benefit uh, to, to Yeah, especially to skin problems, right? Yeah. I would tell people yes. swimming in lakes isn't good, but swim in the ocean. Yes, fine. But they would to go a little overboard, though, not just put them in, have them swim. They would actually treat them with salt water. Yeah, yeah, they'd, they'd have them in the salt. But but the, the, the you know the the different ailments that these animals would have, it, it, basically, they had salt water and bag balm, you know, and and tea bags. That's another one. Right? Well, the tea bags, the third one, the tea bags the third, for yeah. eyes usually for, for eyes. I put the tea bag on. There's a big corneal ulcer or something. Exactly. It didn't work. It didn't work. <laughs> and, and these poor animals, cats and dogs, they're they're basically running through the woods, you know, with with their with their eyeballs front and center, <laughs> yeah. you know. So so we do see a fair a fair a fair bit of uh, you know eye problems in these animals, and and people put tea bags, and not to say that that might not be some some benefit sometimes. I have no idea. But. What- I, I think what it did a lot was it postponed the vet visit and uh, yes. and, and made problems maybe a little bit worse. Yeah. You know? 
Yeah. Good intentions. Yeah, but good, but good intentions. intentions. Yes. We just have a couple more minutes. Uh, we talked about your old practice in the back of the bottle redemption. Yes. But just briefly, in a couple of minutes, tell us how the, the present uh, building evolved. I mean, how long did it take you? And just kind of a little bit about um, what people will see now yes. uh, in town. So, so now I have the hospital in Blue Hill, and then there's the, the clinic, uh, which we don't hospitalize patients in, in Deer Isle. And uh, those two buildings, uh, I built the Deer Isle Clinic in 87, um, and the, the hospital in Blue Hill in 1990. Um, and so uh, basically these are, you know, for the most part, uh, the practice is a two or three vet practice uh, in Blue Hill. And we have the full complement, or, or at the time that I sold the practice a few years ago, we had the full complement of diagnostics and, and uh, equipment, just, just everything that you would need in, in a modern... How many exam rooms? Uh, one, two, three, four. Four exam rooms. Yeah. And you had, uh, did you, so when I, when I redid my clinic, I designed it myself. Right. Because it was small. But did you have a, a planner? Did you go to a veterinary specialist or an architect? Or? I, I consulted a lot of those books, but I basically designed both of my buildings yeah. on my own. Because you know what you want. Absolutely. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's how I felt. Absolutely. I did, one thing I didn't want, I didn't want to be sequestered away in small rooms. I was, a, I was a solo practitioner, as you were for uh, some years, and uh, I didn't want to be in a small room somewhere. So, so there are open spaces in my clinic that. Uh, that's my not exam rooms are on the outside. Yeah. So in a lot of clinics that I used to work in, oh, they're yes. in the middle of the room, so it's the whole day you'd miss. Your windowless. Yeah. So I have all my exam rooms, and yours did too. Yes. The window, so you can see. Yes. Good distraction. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Look at yes. the birds. Oh, get, wait a minute. I'm supposed get, to be looking at Get a at sense the... that there is an outside world out there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Not, not, not in a box all day long. Did you ever have uh, notions of building more clinics? Or when you built that clinic, that's pretty much your... You know, by, that, that was pretty much it. I, I, you know, between that and raising family and, and paying off mortgages, you know, that, that, that was, I was completely satisfied, fully challenged with, uh, with all of that. Yeah. And then sold the whole kit and caboodle. S sold, sold it all. Yeah, and yeah. and you had the same, John, except that you you were you're you're an author, and uh, ah. I, I have to compliment you if if it's okay. I'm going to compliment you on your books. I know Thank you've, you. You've written two books, and uh, and I've just read your recent one, and it is marvelous. Why does my cat look at me like that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah thank you. Yeah, it's a yeah. labor of love. It, it was. Thank it was, you. It was great. Congratulations to you. Well, the fact that you like it, a, a colleague, a veterinarian, that, yes. that means a lot to me. Thank yes. you very much. Yes, you bet. Uh, I don't know how much time we have left. I think we're all set. Greg, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for spending the time and sharing your early experiences. Thank you, John. James, it was a James Harriet. Well. Yes. Uh, thank you very much. My pleasure. Thanks.